So we are studying the first three chapters of Romans in our series titled Vital Truths in Focus. And in these first three chapters, the Apostle Paul basically lays out the worldview of the gospel. You know, why is the world the way it is? What has God done to rescue us? How do we enter his salvation? And this is a, a worldview that is no longer dominant in our culture. We live in a post-Christian culture. And so we should not be surprised if... Uh, if some of the some of what Paul says rubs us a little wrong, because as he reminds us in chapter 12, we will be conformed to the pattern of this world unless we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds, and only then can we know what is that perfect and good and acceptable will of God. You live in a culture, and that culture's values and worldview are rubbing off on you. Make no mistake. Unless you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit and regularly exposing yourself to the Word of God, you will be conformed to the pattern of this world. Just start thinking like everyone else. So don't be surprised if you and I feel a bit corrected during this series. Today we are beginning to look at chapter 2. If you miss any sermons, you can catch up online at clearwater.church. Of course, it's always better to be here in person. And I want to encourage you to be inviting your friends because you know people who need to be in church. You know people who need to be uh, transformed by the renewing of their mind. And so get them here. Now, up to this point in our text, I believe there has been a group of people applauding Paul. Yes, Paul, I agree with you. Those godless, wicked people are going to be judged by God. The wrath of God is, is rests upon them because of their wickedness and because of their, their godlessness. Uh, yes, I agree. Their boat is sinking. I'm so glad I'm not in their boat. I'm not in their boat, Paul, for three reasons. Uh, number one, they're atheists. They have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. But I'm not an atheist. I'm a theist. I believe in the God of the Bible. I'm a God-fearing person. Secondly, whereas their moral compass is totally off and they call evil good and good evil and they approve of those who do wicked things, I approve of God's standards. What the Bible says is right. I'm like thumbs up. What the Bible says is bad. I'm thumbs down. I, I have a biblical ethic. I'm not in their boat. So I'm God-fearing. I have a biblical ethic. And finally, whereas the godless wicked, just they do whatever they want to do without regard for God or his law, I am trying to do what's right. I'm a pretty moral person. I'm not, I'm not perfect, but come on, Paul. I am not in their boat. They, their boat is sinking. I'm in a totally different boat. And I'm okay. I'm okay. Surely God is okay with me. And it is to this second group of people, these, the, the people in this second boat, that Paul turns his attention. And essentially, he says, guess what? Your boat's sinking too. You're actually just as in danger of the wrath and judgment of God as those in boat number one. And I believe that this might even be a more significant message for those of us in church than the first week because 
I think that it's people who are God-fearing and have a biblical ethic and who are trying to uh, be right with God through their own efforts who might, we might find in church and who need to hear this message. Because this is a tale of three boats. <laughs> and it's only if you're in the Jesus boat that you can be saved. So let's look now at Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So Paul recognizes that there is a, a group of people who are in boat two looking at the godless wicked he's talked about in chapter one and saying, I judge you worthy of the wrath of God and worthy of his judgment. And Paul says, guess what? You practice the very same thing. Yes, you approve of God's standard, but you still sin. And that means you're actually as uh, at risk as they are. Verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. That's just sort of a, a baseline spiritual principle. God judges wickedness. He's right to do so, and he does it rightly, which means with perfect knowledge. So let's take a moment and rewind to chapter 1, and let's uh, rehearse some of these sins that Paul said the godless Gentiles were uh, we're doing and ask ourselves, is my life completely free from these things? And I think we'll find no, <laughs> none of us are completely free from these sins for which we say in our hearts, yeah, that's, that boat is sinking because of that. So in verse 24 of chapter 1, we, we, we read about sexual impurity, right? God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And we said, he's talking here about any sex outside the context of marriage between a man and a woman. And when you factor in Jesus' uh, teaching that those who lust after what another person commit adultery with them in their heart, can any of us say, I'm 100% sexually pure? Verses 26 and 27, he talked about homosexuality, men with men, women with women committing uh, shameless acts. Then in verse 29, he, he lists a, a lot of things that uh, are wicked in God's eyes. Verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, covetousness. That's Desiring what another person has and not being content with what God has given you. Have you ever been discontent with your lot in life? Malice. Malice. They are full of envy. You ever been envious? Murder. And again, Jesus, if we say in our heart to a brother, you fool. You've committed murder against him in your heart. Strife. You ever had conflict with another person that's due in part to you? Deceit. Have you ever told 
a lie, or a half-truth, or intentionally led a person astray. Maliciousness. They're gossips. You ever talked about another person in a way that makes them look bad? And maybe elevates yourself? Slanderers. That's just, that's lying to, to harm another person's reputation. Haters of God. Insolent. You ever been disrespectful or disobedient of a God-ordained authority, such as a police officer or a teacher, government official? Haughty. Haughty is thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. Boastful. That's letting words come out of your mouth that, that re reveal a haughty heart. Inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents. What? The wrath of God rests upon people because they're disobedient to parents? Have you ever, ever disobeyed your parents? Foolish. You ever been foolish? Faithless. You ever not kept a promise? Heartless. You ever seen somebody hurting and not really cared? You ever been ruthless? You ever stepped on somebody to get ahead? If you are, unless you're deluded, I think all of us would look at that and say, yeah, I'm guilty of some of those things at least. But, but not to the same extent as the godless, wicked person who just doesn't care about God and doing whatever they want to do. Come on! Not to that extent. But even one wicked act puts a hole in our boat and starts us sinking. And that's what Paul goes, goes on to say actually in chapter 3. He quotes, uh, in chapter 3, verse 10, he quotes from the Old Testament, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. And then verse 23, he sums it up, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You and I and every person who has ever lived except the God-man, Jesus Christ, has sinned and is a sinner. And then when you turn over to James, chapter 2, verse 10, the apostle James tells us that if we keep the whole law and break it at just one point, we're guilty of all of it. One little sin, no matter how small it is in our minds, one little sin puts us in the category of sinner. And all of a sudden, the cloud of God's righteous wrath rests upon us, and eventually his judgment will come upon us, and it's game over. So a story that, that uh, in my life that helps me feel this. As probably 13 years ago, girls were small. Sabrina was getting tired of my contribution to the mess of the house. She was letting me know this, and I, I said, you know what, if I really wanted to, I could leave no trace. And she said, no, you couldn't. Yes, I could. Well, all of a sudden, this becomes a competition, and she was convinced I could leave no trace, and so she offered me quite a prize. I mean, I'm like, I want that prize. And so it was one week of leave no trace. I really could do nothing else that whole week, let me tell you. I, I was so determined to win the prize. So, I mean, that meant that if I came in the house, I had to look. Did I leave any leaves? If there's dirt, you know, I'm sweeping it up. My, my uh, shoes go back. 
every article of clothing I hang back up and dishes I'm washing them and sticking back in there. I mean, she is not going to catch me. I am going to win this. Three days, four days, five days, six days, seven days. I'm on the last day, hours from the, from the end zone. And I'm like, yes. And it was a cup. I, I, my mind was elsewhere. I put that cup down. I walked out of the kitchen. She said, hey, did you forget something? <laughs> no, no, no. I couldn't believe it. Ah! There was no consolation prize. It was all or nothing. And I was devastated. I was so frustrated. I have just, the, all I've done all week long is pick up after myself. I've thought of nothing else. And I can't even do this for a week. And I've thought, man, trying to be perfect uh, is even harder than that. You won't do it because you have a sin nature. And even the Apostle Paul who said, man, I was, uh, you know, I was at the top of the class, the Pharisee amongst Pharisees. I tried so hard and I couldn't do it. Martin Luther, that's part of Martin Luther's story. He, he became a monk. He set himself on the path of doing just being right. And he knew, I fail, I fail. What am I going to do? I can't be good enough. Well, the good news is there's Jesus. But Paul uh, isn't letting us up for air yet. He just keeps um, showing us how, uh, how sunk we are. Verse 3, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? And the answer to many people's answer to that is, yes, I do. I do. And, but Paul's saying, why? You're a sinner. We know that God judges those who do these things and you do these things. So why, why would you suppose that you're going to escape his judgment? And I think the, the answer in Paul's day amongst the Jewish people was, we're Jews. We're chosen by God. We're, we're, we're part of his uh, a special race and God's not going to judge us the way that he judges the Gentiles. And, and so they were, they were putting their hope in this special relationship they believed they had with God. And they did have a special relationship, but not one that caused God to ignore this basic principle of the just God judges wickedness. And Paul says, you know, where has God promised that he's going to treat you differently? If you sin, you're going to be destroyed. Now, I think for us moderns, uh, it's more this idea. God grades on the curve. That's what I'm putting my hope in. God grades on the curve. And, and so, yeah, I would agree that there's some percentage of humanity that's just wicked, godless, and deserving of the judgment of God. I don't know what percentage it is. Is it 15%, 30%? I don't know. But the fact is, that's not me. I'm not in that, that boat. I'm over here. And doesn't God want people to go into heaven? Surely he does. He wants people in heaven. And so who's going to get to heaven? It's going to be the person who believes in God, who approves of God's moral standard and tries hard. And so, yeah, maybe I'm not the best, but I'm certainly up there, right? I, I'm on the, yeah, what am I? 
top 12.5% maybe of humanity? Certainly I'm going to heaven. God grades on the curve. And I think that there are a whole lot of people, and I suspect there are even people in our churches, who that's what, that's what their hope is in, that God grades on the curve. And yet that is not what the Bible teaches. Nowhere does God ever say, I grade on the curve. In fact, God says, my standard is total perfection. You must be holy as I am holy. If you want to get to heaven based on your goodness, your goodness must exceed that of the Pharisees, who, who were the goody good people of society. I mean, the idea that you could be better than the Pharisees was just hyperbole. You can't be good enough to get to heaven because the fact of the matter is somewhere along the line you'll sin and then you become a sinner and then the wrath of God rests upon you and then his judgment descends upon you and it's over. So what, see what Paul's doing is he's, he's trying to show the people in boat number two that, they've, that their boat is sinking also, that they're not safe. And why? Well, ultimately because he's going to point them towards Jesus Christ, the only boat in which they will be safe. So let me ask you, do you suppose, you who do what is wrong, do you suppose that God is going to overlook your wickedness and somehow you won't be judged? Verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So here's another, another thing some people believe or take comfort in, false comfort, by the way, Paul is pointing out. And it's the idea that it, I think it's two possibles. Number one, it's just God is too kind to send me to hell. God is loving, right? God's not going to judge me. That's one, right? A loving God would not send anybody to hell. Clearly not the teaching of Scripture at all. People are just pulling that out of thin air because they want to believe it. But the, here's another one that maybe is a little bit more strikes home, and that is, I'm okay now, so I must be okay with God, right? If the wrath of God really rests upon me, then why am I prospering? Why is everything okay with my life? I'm not, I'm not under the judgment of God. I'm not experiencing his wrath. So I'm okay now, so I must be okay with God. And Paul's saying, no. Yes, God is being patient with you. Yes, he's forbearing, which means he's, he's, um, he is bearing with your failure for a time. But it's only for a time. So think of it this way. Because the, the, uh, he talks a little bit more about you're storing up wrath for yourself for the day of judgment. That's verse 5. So think of it like a, like a lake that's filling up and it's, and it's held back by a dam. And so what Paul's saying is, yes, the kindness of God is holding back his judgment for a time. For a time. But only for a time. Eventually, the dam will be taken away, and the, and the judgment of God will come rushing upon you, and it'll go over your head, and you're destroyed. Why is God holding back his judgment? To give you an opportunity to repent and be saved. 
the kindness of God is, is forbearing and patient to give you an opportunity to get saved. That's, which is why the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. You don't know if you have tomorrow. So take the opportunity while it's in front of you. Do not leave today. If you are in boat one or boat two, do not leave today without climbing into boat three, which we're going to talk about in a moment. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Are you, are you thinking just because God is not judging you today means he'll never judge you? That's not the teaching of scripture. Do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You have an opportunity right now to be saved from his coming wrath. Take that opportunity before it's too late. Verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. There is coming a day of judgment. When the, when the righteous judgment of God will be revealed, which means it will break into time and space and we will feel it. And we'll see it. And if you maintain a hard and impenitent heart, then all you're doing is, you know, raising the, the, the waters, the amount of wrath that's going to, a judgment that's going to crash down upon you. So there are three boats. This is a tale of three boats. Boat number one, Paul talked about in, in the second half of chapter one. It's the, the, uh, the atheist who says, I don't care about God's law. I'm going to live however I want to live. So they are just, they life, life apart from God, disregarding God. I'm, I'm my own God. And he's shown in chapter 1 how that, is, that boat is, is sunk. And now in chapter 2, he says, yeah, you're, you're a God-fearing uh, you know, Bible-believing, moral person. If you are not united with Christ by faith, your boat is sinking too. The moral boat, the theistic moral boat is sinking too. So there's only one boat you can be in and be safe from the storm. Because look, we're all, in, we're all going to face the same storm. It's the storm of God's judgment upon wickedness. But only one boat is going to make it through the storm safely. And it's the Jesus boat. And why, why is it? Why, if you climb into the Jesus boat, will you be safe from the coming judgment? Because people in the Jesus boat, there are some of the worst people ever in the Jesus boat. Apostle Paul himself went around imprisoning Christians and, and killing Christians. He, he held the cloaks while Stephen, the first martyr, was, was killed with stones. Some of the most notorious sinners are in the Jesus boat. They've done wickedness. I'm in the Jesus boat. I've done things that deserve death. So why, why won't we be sunk? Well, because uh, the judgment of God falls upon Jesus. The, the just judgment of God for my sins and everybody else in the, in the Jesus boat 
it falls on Jesus. That's why he hung on the cross. Not because he did anything wrong, right? He bore our sins on the cross. He paid the full penalty. He satisfied the wrath of God. So for anyone who's in the Jesus boat, God has been righteous because he's judged our wickedness. But we are saved because he, he put that judgment on the back of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because he's the God-man, he was able to burst forth from the grave and conquer sin and death. In addition, there is this principle of being united with Christ. This is an important theological principle. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible talks about it as you are united with Christ by faith. There's a union so that all that Christ has done we benefit from. So Jesus lived a righteous life. And guess what? Because I'm united with Christ by faith, his righteousness is applied to me. So all of a sudden, when God looks at me, he sees not Michael and his failures. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And that's why we can come boldly into the throne of grace and talk to God. He accepts us because of what Jesus Christ did. And his death, right? Because I'm united with Christ by faith, Christ's death is credited to, to me. And it's, it's an amazing theological principle. But that's why we can be safe, we will be safe in the Jesus boat from the coming judgment of God. So how do you get in the Jesus boat? Well, the Bible just talks about it very simply as repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus. So, you know, think of yourself in fact, right now, let's just, uh, why don't everybody bow your, close your eyes and, and let's just do a little imagining. So, which boat are you in? And if you're in boat number one or boat number two, I want you to imagine yourself jumping out of that boat into the water. Now you're in the water. And you look over to the Jesus boat and swim over there. Start swimming over there. And then you reach up and you put your hands on the sides and Jesus reaches down and helps you and you climb into Jesus' boat. And you say, I, what you're, what you're saying by that is you're saying, I am, I am not safe, Jesus, unless I'm with you. Only you can save me from the coming wrath, the judgment of God because of my sin. Please, Jesus, save me. I want to be in your boat. Here's a prayer you could pray. Not, no magical words, but if you pray this and you mean it, the best you know how, God will honor it. To as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God. The Bible says, I'm going to read the prayer, then I'm going to ask you to pray it after me in your own heart. So here it is. God, I'm a sinner. You've got to acknowledge where you are right now, who you are. I'm sorry for my sins. So you don't have a hard and impenitent heart. You have a soft, penitent heart. Forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I want to trust him as my savior. I want to follow him as my Lord. So if, you, if you're willing to get in the Jesus boat, just pray that. I'll read it back. Pray it to God in your own heart. God, I'm a sinner. 
I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I want to trust him as my savior. I want to follow him as my Lord. Might be here and, you, and you're saying, you know what, I, I know I'm a Christian. I have climbed in the Jesus boat, but boy, I have let my eyes get off of Jesus. I've become fixated on building my kingdom in this world, and, and I want to recommit myself to putting Jesus first. Just, just do that. Say that to the Lord. And for the rest of us, uh, I would expect that our appreciation for what Jesus has done for us is, has only grown today as we've been reminded that there is no other hope. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. We cannot save ourselves. It is only Jesus who can save us. So thank you, Jesus. We honor you, we worship you. In your name we pray, amen.